Good morning, church. Good morning. We're, we're never going to learn that. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, welcome. Uh, my name is Hojin, and I am one of the pastors here, specifically for the Young Adult Ministry, and I have the privilege of preaching God's Word this morning, um, the, 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 the Word of God that has power, just like our sister Yan Yi said. Um, have you ever bought something, maybe at Ikea, you start to build it, and in your pride, you don't want to look at the instructions, like, come on, I can figure it out. And at the end of it, you have, like, an extra screw or an extra part, and you're like, that could be a problem later. That might be an issue. And when I was thinking about this Sunday, uh, you know, right after Easter, there, there's a lot of pressure to preach on the right thing. And uh, even in our preaching calendar amongst the pastoral staff, it was the preacher's choice. Uh, I got to choose on whatever passage I wanted, but I, you know, I don't want to sit there and go, okay, I want to communicate this to the church, so I'm going to choose this passage, but rather think about a passage that has been speaking to me, that God has been speaking to, to me with, so that I can communicate that to, to you all. And Pastor Danny spoke uh, over the Easter weekend Specifically, because he died, there are implications. And because he lives, there are implications for our lives. And my concern is that the week following Easter, that we just kind of go into, okay, do, do, do. Like, just, just do Christianity, do religion, do church, do what I'm supposed to do as someone who follows Jesus. But rather, I want to look at it as, let's not forget the essential screws, the, the essential pieces that, that are important to the faith. So today we're going to look at uh, John chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. A new command I give to you, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we pray for this uh, normal Sunday, an ordinary Sunday. And in so many ways, we are so much like the early church. We are like them because after you rose, your, your son rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven, the disciples were, were left on their own and I believe that they were singing praises to you. I believe that they were meditating on your word together. I believe that they were celebrating victories like we did today in, in the graduates. We also recognize that like them, we we are on, on mission as well. So God, we, we ask that in this normal Sunday, we would still experience the resurrection deeply. We ask for your grace to be with us, your, your spirit, uh, just like we sang uh, just earlier in this morning. Your spirit would be very welcome here to do as you please in our hearts and illuminate our, our minds, our souls to who you really are. And we, we say that it would be through the person of Jesus and in, in whose name we pray all things. Amen. So if it wasn't evident 
in these two verses, Jesus is telling his disciples, love one another, love one another. And there's no getting around it. Jesus isn't pulling any punches. He says it multiple times, not just here, but in this entire conversation he has with the disciples before he faces the cross. And specifically, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. A new commandment. But if you've been at church any amount of time or you've heard uh, messages Uh, At church, you know that loving one another is a staple. It's a foundational thing for the Christian faith. So what is Jesus saying? Because even in Leviticus 19.18, we know that Moses told the Israelites, love your neighbor as yourself. And then when Jesus is asked by a lawyer, by, by someone who's trying to trap him with a trick question, he answers with the first and second greatest commandments. And the second one is, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So what's, what's new about this command? And it's in the phrase that Jesus says, just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you. For the first time in, in the entire Bible, it's as if God is doing a show and tell. He doesn't just say, okay, here's what you do, but rather, here is love personified. Here is love defined in my son. So I want all of us, you and me, to see that this phrase, just as I have loved you, changes everything. Just as he has loved us, which is through his death, just as he has loved us, even in the power of the resurrection, it shows his love for us. So it's pretty clear what my main point is. I'm not going to steer very far from Jesus. We must love one another. But I'm going to just share three functions that Jesus' love gives for us in in terms of practical life. Even um, on Friday, the young adults gathered together, and we reflected on a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says, you are now a new creation. But as the young adults were just sharing, we're... You know, it was like, yeah, I know that in my head, but on a day-to-day basis, it's hard to feel it. It's hard to really believe it. And I want us to see, us to know that Jesus' love helps us experience that, helps us know that we are a new creation. So the first of the three functions I want to share is that Jesus' love is an example to follow. It's an example to follow. The words, just as I have loved you, are what distinguishes this command. You know, Jesus is giving us some sort of clue what love looks like. And how does Jesus do that up until this point in John, in the Gospel of John? He He doesn't just spend time with them and does ministry with them, but he, earlier in chapter 13, he specifically does one action, one act of service, that exemplifies this. And it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That phrase, to the end, can also be translated as to the uttermost. Not just a temporal thing, like, oh, until the end of his life, but to the, the end of just his extent, his ability, everything within him that he loved 
And how does he show this right after? In verses 3 to 5, it says specifically that Jesus rose from the meal that he was sharing and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He began to wash the disciples' feet. And if you've heard any message on washing uh, feet, you will probably have heard that it was meant for a servant. Um, Usually, you know, I've heard messages where it was like the lowest servant, you know, in the household. But what's really specific about washing feet was that it was meant for non-Jewish servants. There was something about washing feet that Jews thought was so unclean. It wasn't written in scripture, but it was so far beyond them that they wouldn't do it, but they would allow, you know, just have Gentile servants, have non-Jewish servants do this particular deed. And not only that, but the washing of feet was to happen prior to the meal. If you're a good host, you know, like when you go into someone's house, like they'll take your jacket and hang it in the closet. It was that type of thing. You don't wait until like you start eating and go, oh, can I take your jacket? Like, let me take care of that. You do it before they walk in. But what happens here is that Jesus, verse 4, rose from supper. So I imagine the disciples, they walk into this, this uh, house that they're, they're essentially renting from, from somebody. And these guys, you know, they're a bunch of dudes. They're a bunch of fishermen. And they, like, take off their sandals. They're like, uh, hey, uh, Andrew, you want to take care of this for me? Or just, like, looking around, waiting, and I think this is what would happen, like, nowadays. Like, they're like, eh, let's just eat. <laughs> like, let's not worry about our, our, our feet, and let's just eat. It was a task that no one else wanted to do amongst the disciples. But Jesus rose. He takes off his outer garment and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And not only that, it's in the midst of the sequence of events as Jesus is facing the crucifixion. Jesus washes all the disciples' feet, and then he reveals that Judas is going to betray him. Judas is going to sell him out for a certain amount of money so that he can be tried, wrongly, executed as a criminal. And John, he's so... He's almost sarcastic, like how ironic... Uh, the story is because he says, after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out and it was night. And I don't think John is just talking about the time of day. I think John is talking about a spiritual condition as well. That it was not darkness in terms of the light in the sky, but it was darkness in terms of what was happening spiritually. It was the, the crucifixion of the sinless person, the only sinless person of all history, was supposed to happen. And then John continues right after this verse, and he says, Now, when darkness has come, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. When we think about that, God is glorified in the midst of literal and figurative darkness, the darkness of evening, the darkness of Satan's work, it just makes me think that there's no 
situation where God can't take glory as long as our trust, our love is for him. And this is what's happening in Jesus because he is completing the external act of washing feet. But what, what, you know, what does external washing feet do? It doesn't do anything internally, but it's supposed to point to the cross. The external washing of feet was to point to the internal washing of hearts and souls that was supposed to happen in just a couple chapters later. And Jesus loves to the uttermost, to the end, first by washing feet and ultimately shedding his blood on the cross. And Jesus' love is expressed in a task that no one else wanted to do. Jesus' love is expressed in the midst of darkness. Jesus' love is expressed without prejudice. He washed Judas' feet as well. There's one uh, famous painting of, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and I was looking at it, I was like, hey, there's only 11 disciples. But when I looked at it closely, it was uh, one disciple peering over the shoulder of another. Uh, I, and I think that was Judas. He knew what was going on. But Jesus washed his feet as well. And Jesus may not have washed your feet physically, but he certainly, if you believe in him, has washed your heart completely. And we have to believe that in the cross. Isn't the command to love one another like so simple? Love one another. But if any of us have tried to love another person, it's much more complicated. Uh, I recently had to interact with somebody I, I hated. Uh, I get annoyed easily. I, I get annoyed easily and frustrated easily, but I don't hate many people. So if I look like I hate you, I don't. Um, I would just not even bother. <laughs> like, so me being here means I love you, okay? Um, but I recently had to interact with somebody that I really did hate. And I, I remember just like an impromptu meeting with a friend, and uh, he was actually going to take the tea. I, I, I was driving by. I picked him up. I was like, hey, let me drive you, and just updating him on the situation. And he said, you know what? Because like, I, I was scared that um, like I would react pretty badly, um, even like physically. Like, yeah, I mean, that's like... If you don't know, I'm, I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. So, uh, like there, there was a legit fear because I know where to hit this person if I wanted to hurt them, you know. But, but all kidding aside, um, my friend told me, hey, whatever you do, do it for Jesus. If you need to defend yourself, do it for Jesus. If you need to uh, speak up, do it for Jesus. If you need to endure, do it for Jesus. And I, I remember just forcing myself, okay, for Jesus. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a pastor, I know, but for Jesus. For Jesus. But as I kept reminding myself, it was as if somebody from the outside was telling me, for Jesus. And from within me, and this is where I can share this, because I'm not giving myself a pat on the back, but I had genuine compassion I don't know how that's possible. This was somebody I feared I would destroy their face. And I had genuine compassion. Like, I, 
I looked at them and I saw them in, in the way that I think God sees this person. You know, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he could have done like, hey, let me wash you. Hey, keep the chain going. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I'm just going to start the process. But what does he do? He washes every single person, person's feet in that room. There's something to learn there, isn't there? A task that no one wanted to do, and he does it completely. He does it in the midst of his own personal difficulty. That's what Jesus' love looks like. And that's an example to follow, just as I have loved you. But why is it love one another? Shouldn't it be, just as I, I have loved you, love, love me back, dude? Love me back. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, love one another, love each other. And that's the second point. Jesus' love is a mission to participate in. It's a mission to participate in. In verse 35, it reads, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And just flip that statement around. It's a conditional statement. If you have love for one another, all people will know that you are my disciples. And this love is Jesus' love, not our own love that we're mustering up. Jesus is saying here, that there is a distinguishing mark about his followers. That they care for each other. They love each other in this sacrificial love, in a love that no one else is willing to do for one another. When the world doesn't love one another in that way, there's something different about his disciples. Jesus is telling us that God's ordained method, one of the methods for witness in the unbelieving world is in the way that we love each other. And does that mean that we have to prioritize loving each other within, you know, if, if you belong to Cornerstone, then do we have to focus on loving within Cornerstone first before we love the world? The short answer is yes. The longer answer is it's complicated. Because we're not trying to prioritize love But we also have to understand that by being a disciple of Jesus, in definition, means we love each other. So if we're going to love the world, our hope is to make disciples of them, that they love other disciples. And for us, I mean, think about it. If you're going to invite a friend, you're going to invite a coworker, a classmate to this place, wouldn't you want this place to be a healthy, healthy venue? If you were going to invite someone to your house, wouldn't you want them to see a healthy family, a healthy situation? These two verses, John 13, 34 to 35, are actually on our membership certificates. And it's because we want this to be a pattern within Cornerstone Church. And if you're not part of Cornerstone Church, we're so glad that you're here. We're We welcome you, uh, but if you attend another church, I hope this applies to wherever you are, wherever you go. And if you don't go to church yet, you are more than welcome here. But why do we put this verse, these two verses, in the membership certificate? If anything, we're going to fail loving one another 
just as Jesus has loved us. It's, it's going to, yeah, like, like look at the membership certificate and you're going to start to think, uh, I don't really experience that. And that doesn't mean we have to stop trying. And membership here is important because out of all the believers in, in the world, you ended up here. Maybe you like the praise music. Maybe you like the people that you come to church with. But God placed you here for a reason. And membership is a public declaration, a public commitment to saying, you know what? This is going to be my family. I'm going to love them like Jesus has loved me. That's why it's important. We're not trying to get anything from you. If you're just trying to get the membership so that you can have a vote about Pastor Bill in a little bit, like, come on. That's not the point. Membership is a step of commitment, of faith, of saying, this is my family. These are my sisters, my brothers. And I'm willing to put myself lower for the sake of the other. For their growth, for their life, for their prosperity, for their joy, I'm committed. And 1 Corinthians 13 is... You know, I've, I've said this so many times because I hate it being misused. It's, it's always at like weddings and marriages. And if you read 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it's about the body of Christ. It's about the body of Christ. Chapter 12 talks about the spiritual gifts. And then Apostle Paul says, but you know what? The gifts, there's a better way. And it's love. And that's where we get love is patient. And love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. I think we might have the most problem with that. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And love never ends. This is the love that Jesus showed to his disciples. This is the love that he showed to us if we put our faith in him. Actually, even if you don't put your faith in him, even if you're an enemy of God, he shows you this love. Use this as a litmus test of how you love the people around you. Not, okay, what's, what's right for me? What works right now in my season? I don't think Jesus operated in that way. He didn't go, oh, wait, I'm about to face the cross. Like, my back's going to get tired. I don't want to, like, bend over and wash your feet. He pours himself out. And I'll be honest, there's, like, no formula to loving other people. If there was a one clear-cut way to do it, then I would just be doing that for each and every one of you. And I'm talking as someone who has failed miserably. Specifically, I remember one time I, I was like, okay, I'm going to love on this person and I'm going to rebuke them. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I need to rebuke them. I rebuked them. It was like the biggest fight I've ever had at Cornerstone. Um, and I, I realized my wrong in that situation as well. But if I said, you know what? I don't want to like, step on people's toes. Like, I don't want to offend them. I, I don't want to be uncomfortable. 
I'm going to let them be. That's not love. You're loving yourself. Even if you don't know what you're doing, it's fine. Love, even to the point of being reckless. I'll be honest, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, hey, um, like Pastor Hojin, like that sermon changed my life. Please don't tell me that today. I'm like, it's going to be just like ingenuine, you know, like this is like. <laughs> but really, I have yet to hear that. But I've heard, Pastor Hojin, like when you reached out to me on that day, when you prayed for me, when you sacrificed this or that for me, that made a difference. And for me, uh, I'll share a personal story. I was um, a sophomore in college, and uh, freshman year, you know, you're the baby, you get like, you're so taken care of by the upperclassmen. So sophomore year, I'm like, yeah, let's continue that. Let, Let me still get babied, still get taken care of. But I was in a small group at my church where it was all freshmen and I was the oldest uh, upperclassman. Like, oh, all right. I'm interacting with this one uh, freshman guy. And uh, to be honest, he, he's not going to listen to this, but he, uh, he was really socially awkward. Uh, I didn't know what to do. Just hanging out with him, I would just like, go visit his dorm room and say, hey, like, how's your day? He's one of those guys, like, good. <laughs> like, oh, uh, how's classes? Like, okay. And I would just sit there with him, like, <laughs> um, not knowing what to do. But I kept going because I wanted to be a good upperclassman. Really, I got so fed up. I was to my small group leaders, like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Like, I'm just sitting there next to him. Years later, we're having lunch, and he's like, hey, like, you know, like, freshman year, like, I was struggling like crazy. Like, I don't want to be near anybody, but you kept coming. (laughs) Even when I don't know what I'm doing, God can use that to express Jesus' love to somebody. D.A. Carson, he's a New Testament scholar. He writes about this passage. He says, Christians, people who follow Jesus, are mere beggars telling other people where there is bread. We don't have it all together at Cornerstone Church. Goodness, we do not. We are far from the perfect church. But if we could be a church that says, hey, I know where to get bread. I know where to get true life. I know where to experience the greatest joy that could ever exist in this entire universe. Can we just be a signpost and say, like, bread this way? We're doing our job then. Yes, Jesus' command is a clear responsibility We have to love one another. But if we stop there, we're missing out on the entire gospel. And I say that very boldly because my last 
function of Jesus' love is that it is an invitation to experience. It is an invitation to experience. Because for many of us, if we say, hey, love like Jesus loved, okay? (laughs) You're like, oh my gosh, how do I do that? The dude went to the cross and literally died. I ain't doing that. If we think that way, we're missing the point. Jesus' intent is never, ever to give us a burdensome command, something heavy to put on your souls, to to put on your shoulders. It is something to give you life and to give you joy. The phrase, love one another just as I have loved you, is actually repeated verbatim in one other place. It's two chapters later in the Gospel of John. John chapter 15, starting in verse 9 to 12. And this is something that we can learn about Jesus' love. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So Jesus' love is actually the Father's love that he's pouring out on us. Jesus' love is a love that he gets from, the, from God the Father, and he's wanting his disciples to experience and to know fully. And what does Jesus say? He says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. That your joy may be full. In trying to love another person in the way that Jesus did, even in your failures, you're going to have a deeper sense Goodness gracious. I can't love nowhere close to that. Praise the Lord that Jesus could. And even when you're victorious like me, goodness, I didn't know what I was doing, God. Praise the Lord that Jesus loves me and others. And John continues and he says this, This is my commandment, and this is the verbatim quote, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Who laid down his life? Jesus did. And we became his friends. Not because we deserve it, But God wanted us to be a part of it. So when Jesus says, love one another, he's saying, experience the Father's love. Experience the Father's love. Many of us are so scared to show that love because we feel like we might mess up. Others of us have not loved yet because we've never understood this love in the way that Scripture describes it. And still others, there are Some of you here who are just, I'll just say it, just lazy and selfish and not showing love to others. And am I saying that to make you feel bad? No, I'm saying what you're doing is not worth it. Experience the Father's love, God the Father, in the love of Jesus. The new command is not a heavy weight to bear. It is an invitation. It is a freedom to mess up, to experience joy and victory, and it's all God. You, you say, Jesus, 
you take all the credit. God, you take all the glory. Even when darkness hits, like Jesus, you're able to say, now, now God is glorified, not me. Uh, I personally don't like to give practical applications because it becomes a moralistic thing. But I also fear at the same time a message like this doesn't get you anywhere. So I'm going to provide one application split into two, two ways. The first, uh, the first main point is love two people in this upcoming week or month. Love two people in the way that Jesus loved you. And it could be anonymous. You don't have to be like, from me. Like, just love. Love anonymously. First, love one person who you're already in normal contact with, who is easy to love, who is natural to love. Like, like spouses, love each other. Goodness, please. Roommates, love each other. But love with Jesus' love. Second, love another person who is difficult to love. You're going to experience the spectrum of of Jesus' love in this way. Because if you're just loving somebody when it's easy, you're not understanding the love of Jesus when he was facing the cross, when he was heading over there. There are people already in your mind that you don't want to talk to. You know, like, I I know you. you have somebody in your mind already. People you don't know at all. People who frustrate you. People who just outright annoy you. And I would say do it in a way that puts yourself in submission to that person. Put, regard that person higher, better, um, more special than you. You know, uh, the welcoming ministry, like for those in the balcony, you know those black foam things next to you? They typically have to move all of those. And it's, it's annoying. <laughs> but they do it so that potentially whoever sits up there is able to sit freely, worship, and participate in this service. They don't do it to get any credit. Recently, you know, even the praise ministry fundraiser, somebody anonymously gave $1,000. After the fact, we got within the dollar amount of what we wanted. God provides and then Someone anonymously, out of love, gives another $1,000 to the ministry. There was uh, somebody, you know, using the card swiper, um, trying to give anonymously. One of the children in in our church came up behind and like, $100? (laughs) I I could buy that for $10, you know, like, because the suggested donation was $10. So... The, the child was like, you're paying $100 for two hot dogs? Like, flipping out. <laughs> Even when our expressions of love get botched, it doesn't make them any less God's, like, your love for others. Amen? Even if you fall flat on your face, if your motivation, your heart desire is to show Jesus' love, then you're growing, God is glorified, then it's worth it. Amen? There's a story of Shane Claiborne. He's a Christian activist. He spent, um, I, I believe, 10 weeks with Mother Teresa before she passed. And he was just interacting with her and noticed that her feet were like, se- severely deformed. He didn't have the guts to ask her directly, but uh, 
During an off moment, one of the sisters in the, in the convent was uh, just brought it up. Hey, have you ever noticed Mother Teresa's shoes? And he's like, yeah, I've been wanting to ask. And the sister says, <clears throat> when people donate shoes to, to us, Mother Teresa goes in there and takes the worst pair to ensure that no one else gets it. She wears it to the point where her feet are def- were deformed severely. I think she did that out of love. How can you love in a way that considers others more important than you, more valuable than you? Not in a masochistic way. Please don't do it in a masochistic way. Do it in a joyful way, saying, Jesus has loved me so much. My sacrifice, my being lowered at this very moment is nothing compared to what I've received in Christ. So because Jesus died, we have come to know his love for us. Because Jesus lives, we have come to know the power of the resurrection in his love for us. So we must love one another in a way that says our actions, in our actions we're saying we follow the example of Jesus. We love one another in a way that says our actions, that we are committed to being a part of Jesus' mission to represent him well in this world. And lastly, we are saying with our actions that we have, we have access to the Father's love and there is nothing, nothing like it. Let's pray together. God, we ask for the experience of the good news, God, the gospel. That it is not about you telling us what to do. Christianity was never, ever about that. It was about relationship. It was about coming to know Jesus Christ and his love absolutely poured out for us, on us. And in seeing that, we come face to face with God the Father somehow. We come to experience the love that you share with your son. And we thank you for that. For those who don't know what that love feels like, we ask that you would work in a way that, is, that can regenerate hearts, that can tr- transform lives. We do believe with all our hearts that because Jesus died and because he lives today, everything is changed. We pray that we would follow the example of Jesus. We pray that we would give and just be so committed to the mission by representing you well in the way that we love one another. And not only that, we would fully come to experience, even for the rest of our lives, what that love is. So God, if anything, at this very moment, we ask for an invitation to experience your love. Give us reminders. Give us a picture of Jesus. So even as we continue just whether it's even the giving of our tithes and offerings in the songs that we sing in the fellowship. We want true fellowship, God. We want it to be love for one another. So in all that we do, we hold up Jesus high. We say it's Jesus' love that makes us, that motivates us, that, that is worth it in all that we do. And we commit all these things to you, God, even 
in reckless ways, in, in ways that we don't even fully understand. And we ask for you to be sovereign, for you to use it in a way that makes your name great. In Jesus' name we pray.